This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's great to be back. It's Monday, and that means it's time for our Zoomer squad, and we start with a very serious issue, amending the law on medical assistance in dying. Starting today, Canadians can give the government feedback on how best to do that. We have two weeks to fill out an online questionnaire. Now, is that enough, given the profound nature of the questions that have to be resolved? They include whether to make psychiatric evaluations mandatory for all patients, whether to change the standard 10-day reflection period patients are supposed to wait, and whether the doctor or nurse practitioner should be obligated to consult the patient's family or loved ones. This comes after the Superior Court of Quebec ruled that it is unconstitutional to allow only Canadians near death to seek this kind of medical assistance, And the federal government is also facing a tight deadline. If no new legislation is passed by March 11th, the, quote, reasonably foreseeable provision in the law will be suspended in Quebec. So what do you think of this mode of getting to an amended law? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I would like to welcome Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hey, hi, hi, squad. <laughs> hi, Libby. Happy New Year. Same Happy you. New Year. Okay, so uh, let's start with Marissa. What do you think of this method? Is this is this enough? Is this really going to give interested parties uh, the, the best chance of having input? Unfortunately, no, actually. I don't think two weeks is enough time. Uh, and I do know that a lot of people that would probably like to engage are probably somewhere in Florida on a beach, right? <laughs> so it's we're in the dead of winter, and I don't think a lot of people are really all that paying attention to this very important subject. So I would have liked to have seen you know, the government give us a little bit more notice and a longer period to consult. That said, we will be consulting. Um, we've had folks reach out to us from Justice Minister... <clears throat> David Lametti's office. Um, and so we will be engaging in consultations and we'll be reaching out to our CART members to see where they where they stand on a number of the issues that are sort of at the forefront of this new consultation period. Uh, was this negligence on the government's part? I mean, they had six months, but there was a federal election in in the meantime. Uh, what do you make of it, Peter? I, I think they're... Um they're kind of passing the buck here, and I think they're just—it's not enough. Like, CARP doesn't have time to prepare like an in-depth report in ten days. Does well, we'll, it? we'll have to send like, out a survey fairly quickly, and we will. And then coalesce the results, and then bring it back and and develop recommendations. It, it seems very unlikely. So maybe, maybe the government is more than happy to just let it slide and, and adopt whatever the court said in Quebec. You know, just 
and, and fall well, back. Well, I don't think they said what will be the new law. They just said that this one was unconstitutional. So they just dropped the requirement without specifying right. what. Did, did they say the law was unconstitutional or, or that restriction? That, that, that was. Per, they yeah. said that restriction was unconstitutional. Right. So uh, I, is, I would imagine that it's just that's dropped, and then it's it, what that means is open to interpretation in Quebec, which is which I wouldn't want to be the. You know, that that sounds a little bit tough for the people involved in those decisions. Yeah. And if the reasonably foreseeable provision is suspended, what does that mean? Exactly. Is it a free-for-all? Can anyone obtain it at any time? And I think that that's a real concern, and it ought to be for the federal government. Well, so, it ought to be for the Quebec government, too. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. So part of what, obviously, the consultation is going to consider, you mentioned some of them in your introduction, um, access for mature minors is something that um, is a hot topic uh for some people. Obviously, CARP does not have a position on this. We won't be taking a position. Another is for um, people being able to access it with mental health issues. Yeah. Now, again, CARP doesn't have a position on this. I'm personally... uncomfortable with it. I'd rather see resources directed to improving mental health access across the country. You know, there is very limited funding for it. And we know that people struggle to pay for services as it is. Most employers only cover, you know, $500 a year for, you know, psychotherapy. And this will get you what two sessions with a therapist. So I would prefer, in my own opinion, um, to see resources directed there. Now, the, the, I think the hottest topic of them all is advanced directives. Yeah. So let's say, you know, Joy um, requests an assisted death and uh, it's scheduled. And right now at the time of death, the doctor comes in and says, you know, do you know why I'm here? Yes. Are you comfortable with moving forward? Except typically that's not how it happens is someone will come in, they'll schedule it. And then it'll often take a week or two or some time from the point of, you know, making this decision, having all your paperwork signed off on, and then the the procedure actually being performed. And what happens if in that waiting period, Joy falls into a coma. Legally, a doctor could not perform an assisted death. So that will be some of the scenarios that the government tries to grapple with as they look to expand. Well, it, this. It, yes. And, and it's also the question, I mean, even in, I, I think that most assisted deaths involve cancer. But even with cancer, you know, if, if you get to the point where, where you've basically in a coma, it's it's off or what about people with alzheimer's who mm-hmm. i mean you know one of the ironies with the whole thing is that it can mean that people choose to die before they otherwise would right. because they have to be in control of their faculties but and i'm not i'm not sure dementia even qualifies as reasonably foreseeable death so that'll be you're right i think dementia will be part of this consultation um right now obviously it, you know if you're diagnosed with dementia and it's still early days and you're able to give consent and you can say in that time i'd like to uh, receive an assisted death should that person have the right to access that that procedure um but then you have to consider too you know there are seven stages of dementia so what happens if someone in stage one says i'd like to receive an assisted death once i get to the point where i'm you know diaper drooling and demented so stage seven the the challenge there is in that stage they can't give consent Mm -hmm. and so that's where the whole advanced directive comes in it's obviously um it's a very uh uh emotional subject for people um 
And so it'll be interesting to see sort of how the government, what the government hears from folks across the country. Okay, I'd like to give the numbers out again, and I'd like to throw this out to our audience. Uh, What do you think of this? Is this, first of all, an appropriate way to ask the public for input, say, okay, you better, uh, if you want, you can fill out an online questionnaire, you have two weeks to do it. And that's it. Is, Is that appropriate? And what do you think about these extremely complicated issues revolving around medical assistance in dying? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Do you think that the government will actually tackle all of these issues Um, in meeting this deadline? It, it seems, you know, um, each, each of these cases are so personal, so individual, and I'm not sure how you can come up with legislation that covers every single possible nuance in this whole thing. And, and unless you sort of give blanket freedom or, you know, anytime you're going to make one restriction, someone's going to find that unconstitutional and, and argue it. And the other thing is um, they have to take this incredibly complicated legislation and uh, pass it through three readings and then royal consent and do it in under two months and mm-hmm. it, with a minority government I, again that seems it seems to me very unlikely that the current time frame is it's is going to allow that to happen I'd completely forgotten about that yeah. <laughs> that, that does take time yeah so nothing happens quickly in government yeah. right well but on the other hand it's it's possible that is if they if they get it to the first stage, that that will at least send the message. Um, let's take a call from Jane in Mississauga. Hello, Jane. Just turning my radio down. I can't help but phone this morning because uh, my family just uh, alerted me to this questionnaire online, and uh, I'm going to go there next. But my husband uh, passed away a week uh, a week ago. So sorry to hear he, that. He, we uh, found out about the MAID program, and it was perfect for my husband. He um, had been dealing with um, cardiac amyloidosis, very rare uh, heart condition, and it meant he couldn't breathe near the end. The heart wasn't functioning well enough to keep the uh, lungs fully, uh, you know, breathing, and and he was getting to the point of really suffering and. He had talked to uh, his longtime 40-year family doctor who uh, totally agreed with him. My husband was 91, very sound mind, very sharp, knew exactly what he was doing and was just so pleased. He said, this is for me. So uh, the doctors and the nurse and all our kids came. It couldn't have been more peaceful. And uh, to me, it's, it's, it's been like helping me with the grieving process because everything we were able to plan together. And uh, I, I hate to think that two weeks is um, all that people are going to get to comment on this because I don't think uh, most people even know it's available to begin with. You, you, we're trying to tell people. Uh, Marissa would like to ask you a question, Jane, and thank you so much for sharing sharing your story and, and again, um, our condolences. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. My thank condolences you. for your loss, Jane. Um, I was curious, in the in, throughout that process, um, did you 
uh, run up against any barriers? Would you mind sharing if you know there was anything you'd like to see improved in the, throughout? No, uh, there were uh, no barriers. Uh, there is nothing I can even tell you, um, think of how they could have improved it any better. We have this, um, the Lynn program in uh, Mississauga Halton, I guess it is, and uh, they, along with our family doctor, organized a, uh, the primary doctor and nurses came in and um, phone calls, uh, everything, and the whole thing really was dealt with um, very quickly. And because of his condition, it was obvious that uh, he wasn't getting better. And it, um, it, I can't think of any other thing that could have helped. It you was know, perfect. I, I'm uh, very glad to hear that it was so smooth and mm. that it went as well as, as possible. Um, but uh, you're, you said you're going uh, to go online. I, I guess, obviously... Uh, you understand that your husband's case sort of fit the criteria in, yes, in the yes. best way possible. Do you do you think the law should be amended in those areas? I I I, I have to read the law to be honest with you. So I, I'm not exactly sure on all the details. I I only agree that uh, the person you know has to be obviously so ill that they aren't going to get better. I I would have hated to think of someone with Alzheimer's or dementia because it's so true they kept asking him are you uh do you know what you're going through do you, are you uh, still sure that you want to do this so people have to be of sound mind and I just don't know how someone with Alzheimer's could handle that I th- I think that they should be able to um carry on through with it and uh, have assisted dying I think it's just dreadful that that we can't um, uh, control our own destiny. And uh, that's how he went. And I think that uh, very sick people should be able to. Jane, um, thank you again very much for sharing your experience. uh, And again, our our condolences. Thank you. Uh, This is such a timely uh, subject. I'm really pleased. Everyone... We had a huge uh, service and funeral, and everyone who knew, and, uh, and we talked about it, we let everyone know the situation, and I think there are a lot of people who've learned about this, and everyone I've talked to uh, likes the program and uh, agrees with what, more or less what I just said, so glad to pass it on. Okay. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Um, m- moving to another topic, uh, a patient placed in a filthy conference room in London, Ontario. Uh, This is another example of hallway medicine. Uh, A young woman, her mother complained she's had four major surgeries in the last five years. She's uh, on antibiotics all the time because of chronic infections. And uh, her last surgery was last week. There was no room. Uh, And she ended up in a conference room with no call button, no access to washrooms, I mean, this is a familiar story. Uh, I was in Vancouver last week, and my sister-in-law's mother fell in Winnipeg, 93 years old, and it was the same thing. She was in a hallway with no call button, no uh, access to a bathroom, and she had fallen. Like, she she couldn't move. And uh, we know that the hospitals are crammed to capacity. We're at the height of flu season. Mm Mm-hmm. 
our hospitals are perpetually overrun, um, run over at, uh, you know, over 100% capacity, <coughs> meaning that there are more patients than there are beds constantly. At any given time in Ontario, a thousand patients sit on hospital beds and hallways. Um, and we know that 50, 15% of ALC beds are occupied by patients waiting to go into long-term care. It's a real problem. I don't know what's worse, sitting in a dirty conference room or in a hallway, but we know that... Um, Neither is acceptable, um, and I would think they're equivalent. <laughs> sure, and and I mean not having access to to a washroom to be able to notify a nurse if you need something while in hospital, um, it's completely unacceptable. And you know we've been saying this for a long time, Libby. We there is a real. Ch- challenge in our system. We need to rethink how we spend our healthcare dollars. We need to actually move them away from hospitals to prevent people from going there in the first place. We need to invest in preventive care. We need to invest in home care. We need to invest in long-term care. Um, And so, you know, here we are. I don't know. What did government think was going to happen? Well, you know, um, they've been saying that they're doing that. And every every week we seem to get... uh, an alert from the government that says uh, we're helping to end hallway medicine and there's putting some money here and some money there. And the system is in transition. And the meanwhile, uh, even though most experts agree, we have to divert money away from hospitals. The hospitals are crying that they have to deal with all these patients and they need more money. And it's, it's hard to see any improvement. I mean, I think really it is probably just about at the worst point because of the flu. Of course, we talk till we're blue in the face about getting the flu shot. And you still get so many people who think they don't need it or it's not good or whatever. I had a, a well, yes, and we and we actually learned of a story of a, a four-year-old girl oh. who uh, went blind because of the flu just right. over the weekend. I mean, a devastating Yeah, in story. the United States. I had a call from a CART member uh, uh, last week share just a devastating story with me, and I'd, I'd like to share it with your audience if, if possible. Although he is he is a listener, so I wonder if he's if he's listening now. But he basically, you know, he called me to tell me that while you know he was cooking dinner one day, his wife, who um, is in a wheelchair and has dementia, he learned she wasn't breathing, so he pumps her chest, and um, he calls nine one one, and what happens? Nine one one hold, and he's yeah. put on hold for five and a half minutes. Anyway, long story short, they end up sending an ambulance. They get transported to Brampton Hospital. and I think I've spoken to him. Dave. Dave, yes. Great man. And yes. he gets transported to Brampton Hospital. Long story short, they tried to discharge him at midnight um, because the hospital is just so overcrowded. Right. And he has arrived by ambulance. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have his wife's wheelchair. So he pleads with them to keep his wife there overnight. Anyway, long story short, she ends up staying overnight and he shows up the next morning and she's on a hospital stretcher in the hallway, uh, in, you know, not dressed, still in her hospital gown. It was a, a real nightmare. Horror story. It, yeah. I mean, it really, it yeah. really was a horror story. And these, these stories happen every day across the country. Yeah. And, 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 and there is no consequence for failure. Nothing ever happens to the hospitals when they treat patients this way. Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, what, what choice do they have if they're, they don't have room? Right. And they're, they're, you know, whenever I talk to the minister, I hear about these interim places where they're moving ALC patients, but it's, 
it's never enough. It doesn't happen fast enough. And uh, it, it's just... Uh, yeah. I, I've been in an ambulance with... Um, with my godmother who needed who needed medical care and the ambulance driver was negotiating with hospitals to bring her in like they no one wanted her right so they he he finally found a hospital that would accept her but you know we've come to that where (laughs) they don't even want patients now you know like it's it's well yeah yeah. they they don't even want patients and not to mention i mean you show up at er and you could be waiting up to 24 hours before actually receiving care or being admitted into the hospital so the reality is, is our system was based when it was created 50 over 50 years ago on a young patient population with acute care needs, not an aging population with chronic needs. Mm-hmm. And here we are. This is why we're here in this. Yeah, because we have not planned for the realities that people are living well into their 80s and their 90s with chronic and complex conditions. And, you know, the fact of the matter is. We need to move money out of the hospital system and into the community. Well, and we've never effectively been able to do that. Well, exactly. I, I mean, I think they are trying to do that, but it's it's not really working. And, and, you know, as soon as you cut the increase, let alone cut back, then, then there's a huge hue and cry. And it, it kind of sometimes depends on who has, you know, who the squeakiest wheels and the system is in transition which is making everything worse mm-hmm. because people in parts of the system are afraid that their jobs won't be protected so i you know it's from where we're at i think it's hard to see if they're you know if the ship is being turned around sure i you know is just terrible and and uh, you know i'm sure there will be it's not quite the worst yet we're getting to that peak of flu season mm. no and i am i am uh cautiously optimistic and hopeful with what ontario is doing through these new ontario health teams um the fact that in theory every ontarian would have access to a family doctor uh anyway so on and so forth so I, I i'm hopeful that uh, as this transition rolls out it'll be effective Okay, and uh, we have breaking news on a subject uh, that is preoccupying a lot of us, a lot less serious, though, and that is the Harry and Meghan saga. And the Queen says she agrees to let Harry and Meghan move part-time here to Canada after a, quote, constructive royal summit. She says she would have preferred them to remain full-time royals, but respects their wish for an independent life. Uh, let me give the numbers out again. We have just a few minutes left in this segment. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. Uh, Peter, what's your reaction to that? Well, I, I guess they were drawn by the free Tim Hortons for life <laughs> offer. But, uh, Which I, received an enormous you know, blowback God, online. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I don't know. Are, are they actually going to live in Canada? Isn't it going to seem like a bit of a backwater? You know, I, I, I think they'll be... They'll, well, she lived in Toronto for years. Yeah, they she's, have she's friends here. show, but I, I think they'll be drawn to Hollywood more than Canada. You know? Well, they, they were staying apparently on Vancouver Island, right. but that was a holiday. Oh, holiday know. from what? I'm not exactly yeah. sure. <laughs> it uh, was minus 10 in Ottawa this morning. So, you know, yeah. I, I think once they... Well... Yeah. There are a lot of questions, and I think Canadians, um, I think, are 
looking forward to maybe having them here, but then, you know, there are a lot of questions that need some answering. So, for example, you know, when royal family members come to Canada or when any foreign leader comes to Canada, Canadian taxpayers cover the costs of their security. So what does that mean for Canadian taxpayers if Meghan and Harry are spending um, half of the year in Canada? Will we be picking up that tab? Well, usually, I mean, I would think, and we have to check, uh, but I would think that we cover the cost when they come here on a working visit. Mm. But if they're here, if they're if they're living here, you would think they'd have to cover their own. I think that there would be a huge blowback for the government if the government covers that. And we have nodding in the control room <laughs> leading the charge. You know, we are running out of time on this, so I want to take a call from Michael in Pickering, who is originally British. Hey, Michael. Hi, Libby. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, Libby, I just spoke to my brother in London. We communicate three times a week. We've been talking about this for a while now. And um, I made some notes, and I'm just running back to get them in the kitchen. Here, quickly. Okay, we, we don't need the full notes. Uh, do you no, think okay. this is a good thing, okay. bad thing? Uh, one, they've been fond of her. Number two, um, by them leaving the royal family, and her living in Vancouver Island or wherever she wants to live, and then he's going to be going backwards and forwards. They're going to make more money not being a royal than being public. Okay, we're losing you. Are you what kind of a phone are you on, Michael? Hold on, I'm going to move. How's that? Okay, yeah, because we only have about a minute left. A minute left tells me that it's uh, uh, they don't like her over there. My brother tells me we, Canada really doesn't know too much about her over there. Only what they see on television over here and CNN and, and all of the other talk shows. Hey, my prediction is that they will be so rich by leaving the royal family and she doesn't care and nor does he. Uh, Period. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, you know, what's this business about leaving the royal family when their plan seems to be to trade on yeah. their royal pedigree. Yeah. They've trademarked a vast array of products and services yeah. under Sussex Royal. Yeah. I, I think he didn't want to, she didn't want to cut ribbons and attend tea parties. You know, they wanted to get away from that kind of life. And, no, yeah. I, d I, I uh, actually think she was fed up with the British tabloids. So do it's, I. Clearly, they don't like her, and I don't think Correct. she could take the heat. And the other thing I think is she's pregnant. That's my prediction. Uh. She's she pregnant what? again? I bet she's pregnant. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm happy. Uh, you know, I love children. But my point being is that um, you, you, you can't subsidize it, what you, you, you don't want. If they want to be on their own, and there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, I like Harry. I like his brother. I love Diana. I don't know too much about this Morgan, Megan girl. I think she's a divorcee like Simpson was. Well, I, I was wondering if he kind of uh, is inspired or harking back to uh, Edward that ab abdicated, because there uh, yeah. seem to be some similar threads there. But anyway, uh, Michael, we have to go. I suspect we will be getting back to this topic. Uh, uh, and never mind that tweet. Michael, thanks for your call. Okay, bye. Okay, I wanted to bring up the tweet that 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 incense Canadians from the New York Times. I'll just leave you with it because I really have to wrap this. Uh, and this was from the New York Times of all places. Canadians are giddy at the prospect that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle could be moving to Canada, injecting some razzle-dazzle to the sprawling, bone-chillingly cold country. <laughs>
Okay. Are, 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 you, are you giddy, Levy? Uh, <laughs> clearly not. not. Okay. We're going to talk about that, I suspect, pretty soon, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marissa Lennox and Peter Mugridge. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.